you can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Last week, um, I went for a job interview at uh, Elstree Studios. Uh, don't worry, it wasn't for a film job. It was uh, for an editor's job. It was just a company that was based at Elstree Studios. But uh, 16 years before that, I had worked in the area. I'd worked in Bottom Wood uh, in, the, in what was then called the uh, Cinema Bottom Wood, which is now called uh, Real Cinema. Okay. Yes. And uh, so it got me thinking... What with us talking about Tarantino and um, his sort of education from uh, the video store, I wanted to sort of talk about a my time working in the cinema, and also my you know our experiences of um, either going to video shops or you know or working around video shops. Okay, yeah, that's something I can relate to definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, uh, you, you know, as as we've said in in previous uh, memoir podcasts, as I call them now, um, y- you know, from a very young age, I've been sort of interested in film and filmmaking and certainly watching films. And yeah, when I was very young, uh, in fact, I think I was still at school when I first started and it was kind of a Saturday job that, that expanded out. Uh, I did in work. I did indeed work for a. Uh, a local video library um it was one that uh you know used to get films from originally and then ended up you know getting to know them there and uh ended up with a with as i said a saturday job that then led into an evening job and so on and that was originally it was called flicks video and then when when i joined it was ritz video and then while I was there, it then got bought out and changed to the good old blockbuster video, which um, which nobody yeah. knows of anymore, <laughs> unless you watch The Simpsons or, or Family Guy or whatever. <laughs> well, the video shop I remember the most, it wasn't the first one, but I remember the most, was a, um, a video shop in Collindale called Oscar Videos. And, they, and um, yeah, it was sort of... It was called something else beforehand, and it got bought out, and um, they changed the name. But uh, yeah, I remember it was run by this um, this sort of young Indian lad. Well, I say young; he was in his twenties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I used to hang out down there all the time. I used to go down there and, and rent stuff, and he would always rent me, um, you know, eighteens and stuff um, when I was underage. Right, right. 
I guess I'm getting the guy. Oh dear, now, yeah, but... go on, name and <laughs> yeah. shame now. Just... <laughs> well, I can't remember his name. Um, that's the, that's the sad thing. I can't remember what the guy. Was I called, think we but, all uh... used to watch home video stuff. Yeah, before yeah, we were I mean, he to. would. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, fun. it wasn't a ca- <laughs> it wasn't a case of my parents renting the films. I would go down and I would rent the films. Right. I'd always. This is the thing. Um, I don't know about you, but I always get asked by my parents to go down there and rent the films and sometimes they'd sort of tell me which ones to get or or which one or sometimes I picked and um yeah I remember sort of um either I would walk down there or I would cycle it was always about it was about 15 minutes away yeah I used to spend so much time down there and I even did the odd job from as well I remember one day I was handing out um um leaflets I was delivering them door to door right and um I remember that when I got back from that job, um, um, the the money I got from it, I bought uh, a copy of Batman Returns. Yay! Oh, there you go. Yeah. I mean, it is funny how things have changed, isn't it? You you think about yeah. it nowadays, and uh, you know the concept of a a library for for renting videos from is just you, you know bizarre, I guess, to uh, to anyone you know who's fifteen or whatever now, and here's this. They probably think, "What the hell." <laughs> Well, let's be clear. We're we're, we're talking about uh, video stores yes. uh, because libraries actually did rent out videos. Yes. I know my local library you could rent videos from, but they always used to be very sort of art house films, or if they were like um, you know a sort of blockbuster film that they usually weren't there. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I will say is particularly when they um, when they became blockbuster. Um, as the name would suggest, um, you, you, in terms of variety, you know, in terms of like European cinema or old classics or, or whatever, that that used to suddenly fade out into the background. And it used to be, you know, 45 copies of the latest film that's come out, you know, that, 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 that people would rent. Um rather than having but that, that was choice. the whole point of blockbuster yes. that was what made them so popular was the fact that you could go down to the video shop and you could rent the latest and film be guaranteed to get it to yeah. get yeah because i remember that was the one thing about um my video store was because they had only so many copies of a film that you had to be very lucky to get that copy of the film you just had to be you just happened to be there as somebody returned mm-hmm. it i mean i know that happened to me a lot i mean i'd be looking for films and i'm not finding anything that appealing and then somebody walk in with a copy of whatever whatever the latest film was and you were like oh i have that yeah yeah no totally <laughs> i mean you know it became more commercial i mean obviously when we talk about tarantino when he worked at video archives or whatever i think that was one of those and they've still got a few of them out there you know really mm. specialist uh video stores that sort of stock uh all sorts of you know obscure stuff and 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 a wide variety and and i certainly remember when uh when i was a kid and and we used to go rent from the place when it was back when it was flicks video or whatever at the time and i used to go with my dad and uh you you know there used to be a a fair variety of, of 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 stuff and some really you know obscure stuff obviously a lot of b-movie schlock which went sort of straight to video in Mm. in that era um but but you know it was good because you got to you know watch sort of all sorts of stuff that uh wouldn't necessarily have seen 
otherwise. And um, as I said, when I when I actually started working at the store, by that point it had become you know a lot more commercial and a lot more about the 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 the, the, the latest blockbuster um, being available and 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 like you said, having enough copies for people not to be disappointed <laughs> when they when yeah. they showed up. But what it also meant is you only had so much wall space. So often, you, you, you know, the suddenly the uh, the uh, European section got much smaller, and the you know art house section maybe got a bit smaller, and <laughs> and, and the and the you know B movie hor- horrors yeah. and stuff got smaller. Yeah. So so you know you know it, it was a double edged sword. It was it was kind of a good thing and a bad thing, I guess, from that perspective. You know. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, I mean, Blockbuster as well killed off a lot of um, smaller video chains. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, the video, smaller video stores, when they had a Blockbuster move in, that was it. They sort of, they died a death because everybody f- ran off to the, off to Blockbuster. So when the same thing happened to Blockbuster, I didn't shed any tears. No, exactly. I mean, when, when I got the, as I said, when I got the job, it was before that it was when it was a company called Ritz Video at the time. And, um, Sounds like a cracker, doesn't it? Um, but uh, no, uh, you know, at the time I, I, I got, as I, said, I was pretty young and I got the job uh, to earn some, you know, additional pocket money, to some additional living money. And um, I, I got the job largely because, you know, I, I showed even then a reasonable, reasonable knowledge and certainly a, a passionate interest in film. And, you, you, you know, then I ended up getting a proper job and, and but stayed working sort of evenings uh, in the video store. And this was then the beginning of the grand plan to go to film school. And, you, you know, so in very in some ways, it was very much the genesis of, of kicking that whole thing off for me, which uh, obviously took me, you know, several years to uh, to achieve and, and get there. But um but but yeah, working in the video library was nice. It had some perks in the fact that you know you you could you could see movies without actually having to pay to rent them and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, as well as being paid to be there, so it was quite good from that perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that was one of the perks of working in a cinema was that uh, we got to see films a lot for free. Um, so how I ended up in the cinema was. Um, I had been working in the industry up to this point for about a year and a half. And uh, for the majority of that time, I had been unemployed. Mm-hmm. And because I was under 25, you could be unemployed for six months. And then they started sending you on training schemes. And they started sort of taking a, a more of a keen interest in what you were doing than for those first six months. You know, you come in, ask, have you looked for you some jobs? Yes, I have. Uh, did you get any? No, I didn't. And then they go, here's your double check. Off you go. <laughs> you know, and then six months is like, uh, and then I, I didn't really want that scrutiny because I was working I, and I wasn't getting paid, but I was working. Mm-hmm. And I never, I never told them about any of this. I mean, a lot of us were back then when we were working on these low budget shoots, there's always somebody had to go off to sign on. I'm just worried that the IRS is suddenly going to contact you with a massive bill, Simon. <laughs> Let them, I mean, we're talking, you know, 17 years oh. ago. But I didn't get paid. That was oh, the thing. Right, right. I, I only got covered my expenses. Fair enough. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
No, I hear you. you know, I, I, I can count on my one of my hands the, the any jobs that I did get paid for back then. Right. And when I did, I put them back into my own films. Fair enough. Even back then, that's but good. That's good. Even back then, yeah. yeah no, I, I... More so then. But how I ended up working in the cinema was um, I saw a job advertised in the job centre for this uh, cinema in Bonwood, and I didn't know they had a cinema. Mm-hmm. And so I I went for a job interview with uh, with one of the managers called uh, Dan Salter, and he, you know, I more or less got the job there and then. Right. Nice. So yes, yeah, so I I have to say so when I was working there, I I didn't do much shorts or anything. I wasn't working so much because at that point I had made my own I'd my, made my own first short film. And also, because I had in our part-time job, mm-hmm. I couldn't give so much time over to to work in the industry. And also, thirdly, because I had made my own film and I'd gone work, I'd gone back and worked on other people's sets, and my mindset had changed. It wasn't about helping this, you know, them make their film. It was more about me thinking about how I would do it and that kind of stuff so it's one of those things when you do take a step forward it's really hard to go back mm-hmm. no that's good no I, I was i was fortunate as well to have some access to um to the local cinema as well because uh one of my really good friends gary um he he was a projectionist in one of the back back when they still used to project on film um and <laughs> tarantino would have loved it um and uh yeah he he worked in a cinema so what that meant was again i was fortunate enough to obviously go behind the scenes and and see how all this stuff was was put together and and how it all worked but also as you said get get to see screenings in advance uh you know for free and all this was staff screenings and and all of that sort of thing so i i did i did sort of pretty much um live between work in the cinema i think <laughs> mm. You know, until I got a girlfriend, and then and then it changed a bit. But you know, uh, yeah, it was always revolving around the cinema, obviously. <laughs> well, in in our case at the cinema Bonwood, what they would do is the projectionist had to test the film out, and so what we what would happen is that he would invite staff up members to come and do this after hours. Yes. So it's usually the Thursday night before the film opens. That's right. And so he just, you know, he he watched the film to see that everything was correct. There wasn't any problems, that everything was working before, it, you know, was shown before a, a general audience. And so, you know, I got to see things like, because um, it was 99, it was a really good summer. So he got to see things like uh, The Matrix, Austin Powers 2, um, Star Wars, uh, The Mummy, uh, South Park, the movie. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, got to see them all before uh, the the paying public. No, that's good. Yeah, no, I was fortunate enough as well to have similar experiences like that. The other the other good thing, which again is less done nowadays, but the other good thing that this cinema did um, was it would often get in as well older films. Sometimes the prints were a bit you know shitty and in bad condition and whatever, but older films and have like you know, late night screenings of, of older classic films, which um, which was good because that was a way to see stuff that, you know, 
would never have been able to see before. Um, so I remember, you know, things like, uh, oh, I don't know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and uh, Don't Look Now and um, uh, Alien. You know, the first time I saw Alien on the big screen was when they had, I mean, I remember it was a really scratch print, obviously, because a lot of the Nostromo was white. You, you, some of these scratches would really show up badly, you know. Um, but uh you, you know, get to see films like that on 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 print, you know, on the big screen, and that was great because there were some things that I'd obviously seen growing up on on television or or, or on video. Um, but obviously, it's always nice to experience it in its true aspect ratio and whatever on the big screen. So, um, I, 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 you know, those were fun times for me. That was really good when the cinema used to do all that. You know. Yeah. Well, the cinema bomb woods. Um, they had. They had done a couple of events like that before I'd started working there. See, it only and I'd only opened that year when I started working there, but it had been open for, um, I think about six months or the beginning of the year or, or whatever. I'm not quite sure what the um, opening date was, but it wasn't that. It it was about six months or so before I started working there. I started working there. I think it was the beginning of May because the first film I saw there was Notting Hill. Mm-hmm. That was the first film that they were actually showing. There. Right. And they had they had done events like that where they had done uh, Rocky Horror. They'd showed Rocky Horror there and they had the staff all dress up as characters from the film. And the thing about the staff there was they they all, you know, if if they weren't young, they were young at heart and they were a good bunch. We hanged out so much and we would go off clubbing and all kinds of stuff. Um, the cinema was uh, set up by um, Julian Senior and his son David Senior. All right. Now Julian Senior uh, works for Warner Brothers and uh, in their advertising department, and of course is known to people as being a friend to Stanley Kubrick. Back to this Kubrick connection again. Yes. Yeah. Well, the thing was. Um, I think I, I spoke about this in the podcast, but uh, I only saw Julian a couple of times. And he, he after Kubrick's death, he came down to the cinema and they threw on, they did, um, they put on, he came down, to, I don't know why, but he came down to watch the trailer of Clockwork Orange um, at one of the screens. Because there was four screens. And... Um, they're all about the same size and um i don't know how it happened but i was able to to be in the screen when they did this and he was all excited he goes do you know what this is do you know what this is and they they played it and i instantly recognized the trailer because i had gone out to the states uh months before i saw it and i bought a copy back with me of clockwork orange and of course they had the trailer at the beginning because it was exactly the same trailer right and so he was a bit this he was a bit deflated when i said yeah it's clockwork orange ah. i suspected that warner brothers were going to put clockwork orange out once kubrick was dead and uh i wasn't you know i, I was i was proven correct yeah you weren't wrong no wrong yeah yeah no it's 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 funny um yeah certainly some I remember they had some Kubrick films as well um, that, 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 that they got hold of prints of that, that, you know, got to see and whatever. I mean, again, it sounds like nothing now because obviously BFI and Prince Charles and whatever do this sort of thing all the time um, 
here in London. But, yet, you know, down in Bournemouth, that was that was kind of, you know, and back then, you know, that when I was you know, still a teenager and whatever, that was that was quite a thing. So, uh, in fact, I, I still remember that this really sticks in my mind because, you know, how we say, um, you, you know, good old George Lucas has been forever sort of tinkering the Star Wars movies. <laughs> I remember Star Wars is on, obviously one of those um, films that uh, growing up I had taped off of the television when it was shown on the television. I cut the adverts out and whatever, but had New Hope uh, and watched it over and over and over just ridiculously. Um, but uh, they had a print coming of it one one time and it was like, oh, you know, got to see it on the big screen and, you know, 235 and all this sort of thing and um, went and saw it. But it, I, me- I remember it really it really struck and really bothered me because I kind of knew the film sort of word for word by that moment. And, um, you, you know, this was again, it was a, obviously a print that he'd, he'd previously made a because he did some sound editing and some sound changing and whatever. And there's a bit where... Um, when, when when they've got on board the Death Star and they've yeah. they've they've managed to get into the control room, and um, you, you know Ben says you know about uh, plug in he should be R two should be able to interpret the entire uh, Imperial network, and then three PO says, um, oh uh, we found the controls to the power beam that's holding the ship here. Uh, we'll try to make the precise location up here on the monitor. Right. And then mm-hmm. on the version I had from the TV, 3PO then goes to sort of explain, you know, the, 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 the ship is held in the reactor at seven locations. A power loss and one of the terminals will allow the ship to leave and all this. And then Ben goes, uh, you know, I must go alone and, uh, you know, and all yeah. that stuff. I won't yeah. do the whole script. But anyway, but 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 the bit where they show the monitor is missing the bit where 3PO then makes the description. So basically he says he'll make the precise location here on the monitor. They show the monitor and then Ben goes, uh, this is too dangerous, I must go alone or whatever. And I just sort of thought to myself, wow, that really sort of stuck with me that that, you know, he'd, he'd always been, you know, people say about him tinkering with the films later, but he was always tinkering with them, you know, even if it was little things like... Um, sound design and sound changes and all that sort of thing there were different versions out there so i I always thought that was quite interesting uh just putting my projectors head on because i i did find eventually work my way up to a projectionist there um are you sure it's not that that part of the film was cut no, 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 no. The film was there. It was, it, but I, I read about this subsequently. I've gone oh, back right. and looked into this, and and basically, oh, okay. when he did the whole, because we all know, and I don't want to bore people who are listening to this to yeah, death, yeah, but yeah, we know yeah. about it. You know, it wasn't originally episode four, A New Hope, you know, and all this oh, sort right. of thing. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. um, there, there were various changes made, and one of them on that particular reel was more description about how how. Um, you, you know, the, the Millennium Falcon could escape from the tractor beam and all this sort of thing. So th- this was a slightly different version. And it, yeah, it wasn't anything to do with the magnetic strip being bad or or that piece of film being edited out or anything like that. It's, it's well, I was just there. thinking because I, I've, especially with older films that they get damaged. Oh, yeah. What we would do is just all that, that, the, that particular print may have had a, um, you know, it, it, there might have been a screening where it got damaged and they had to cut that. Yeah. No, no, no. This was, this was actually, it was all, it was all there. It was just, as I said, void of that, that piece of dialogue. And um, as I said, I've only, I've only found in later years through, through research and there are actually lots more 
changes that have been made to Star Wars over the years than people think. People always think that the special editions that they did in, in you know, 97 right, yeah. or whenever it was, um, was the first time he changed anything. That's actually not true. He'd been changing stuff for years in its different releases and re-releases, but they were much more subtle yeah. <laughs> than what he's done since and what we wish he hadn't done in some cases. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's a whole other yeah, podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Or his turn-ins on other podcasts. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, why eventually I left the uh, the cinema wasn't my own choice. I was actually very happy working there. I have to say, I, um, I did find working there a, a lot of fun. I, I liked the people there, and I liked the environment, and, you know, being around film, and, you know, I actually you know, became a projectionist and I was there as a projectionist for over a month. Right. And uh, I could have, you know, but what happened was that they, um, well, I was made redundant. So we were all, uh, they sort of, I don't know what it was. They were losing money or, but uh, yeah, they sort of trying to think what the word is. Because redundant, because redundancy is coming to my mind, but I receivership. They went into receivership. They went into receivership. Yeah. Receivership, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a shame. It was. So they were independent, uh, then. they weren't. They weren't part yes. of a, a no corporate no. conglomerate or anything. No. Mm. Well, it was uh, they. They they set the cinema up because they thought it's strange that you know, Bournemouth and Elstree, being a film town, having the studios there, didn't have a cinema. Yeah, it does seem like a no-brainer, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And they, when they first opened, they did really well. The problem was they weren't the only company in that building. Right. What happened was they had a bowling alley, you know, turn up next to right. them. Right. And then suddenly a lot of their custom was going across the way. Right. Now, we had a good working relationship with them and we what we would do is that uh we would let their staff come in and watch films for free and they let our staff go over and bowl for free and you know it was great you could go bowling and you know they had a bar there and it was a lot of us went drinking there and stuff um and so when they were going to receive a ship um the bowling alley was in talks of taking over the cinema because they felt if that um, if the cinema closed down and there was this empty space next to them that they they thought people would uh, turn away from them they would think that they weren't open and um, I remember the negotiations for that was not very good because they well for one thing they wanted us the the projection team to have less money and they were asking us if if we could do the job and or if anybody else could do the job, they thought it was a case of somebody just ran up there and pressed the button. Ah, which it, which yeah. it is nowadays. But nowadays, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> they, they didn't realise how much went into yeah. it. And, you know, also um, for projectionists, I know I wasn't getting paid much. When I got promoted, I didn't get pay rise. I was literally still making the same amount of money but i was in a better position so did you started as an usher or something or box office yeah thing? i started as yeah. yeah we start off as an usher and right we, I, we would rotate from usher to the um 
confection stands and the box office. Right. Yeah. It was. Um, I remember I was working uh, near the end. I was working in the box office, and I think I actually let a few people in for free. Some of our regular customers, I let in for free. I gave them comp tickets. Right. Because by that point, we knew the end was near, and you know. You know, we got a little fed up. Uh, but um, I think the cinema closed down for a couple of weeks and then it reopened as something else. Or, oh. I'm not quite sure because I never, because I didn't live in that area. I didn't live in Bournemouth. I lived in Kingsbury at the time. So I would travel there. Right. I stopped, When I first started working there, I had my car. So I was, you know, 30 minutes by the car. And then uh, once I got rid of my car, I'd get the bus. And so it was usually, you know, over an hour to get there. Yeah. It is a shame because, um, mm. you, you know, uh, great as, as home cinema, et cetera, it, it is, has become and, and, and has evolved. And, and obviously we owe a lot of, um, you know, our childhood and our passion for this down to uh, mm. home cinema. But there is still, and I, I, you know, I still even think it to this day, there's something to be said for watching a film in the theatre on a big screen you know, with big sound and in that environment. I mean, sa- sadly, it's it's a, it's become a double-edged sword nowadays because there, you know, you get so many people on their phones and kicking their chairs and you know just being disrespectful that it's kind of lost a little bit again now. But um, I, I always... think it depends on the cinema. Does, yeah. I think it depends on the cinema you go to. I mean, I used to go to Staples Corner and that was always rough. Yeah, when that first started off as a Virgin Cinema and then you know, worked its way to being a, a, a cine world. Um, it was, it's the same building. It's just exactly the same carpets as when they first opened. <laughs> and the clientele in there could be kind of rough. Yeah. But then saying that, um, I think my majority of cinema going experience has been good. I've, yes, you do get the odd person who, you know, if they're not kicking the chair, they're sticking their, their knees into the back of the chair. Yeah. Or you get the, I have to say, I've not experienced that many people on their phones. I mean, there's been the odd time where, you know, somebody's phone's gone off, but I've, I've never really had anybody who's just been on their phone constantly. No, no. And I think most people don't stand for it. No, they? absolutely. I mean, I, I enjoy, um, you, you know, print, for, for even though it is a bit more rough and tumble, but, you know, the Prince Charles always has a, uh, you, you know, quite a, quite a good atmosphere in there you know because it is that is kind of uh film enthusiasts or or people who are into a particular cult film or whatever tend to go and see what they have there obviously the bfi is always good for seeing stuff the conduct and everything there is is really good that, that's always a nice venue and i quite enjoy um quite enjoy going to see things at the imax theater because uh you know, regardless of the screen size, um, you know, even something projected normal on there looks looks pretty big and pretty decent. But the sound <laughs> system in that place is incredible, and the seating mm. rake is really good. So you you know you always yeah. get a good um, good angle of vision and whatever for for, for what you're seeing. So, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I, I always love to see stuff on the big screen. You know, uh, first and foremost, and. Uh, you know, rediscover them and rewatch them on on the biggest possible screen at home or whatever later. <laughs> well, I mean, I go to um, the Peckham Plex 
me and my girlfriend and you know it's it's a rougher cinema it's 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 been there for a long time and it hasn't changed much but then the the price is kind of cheap and i have to say i've never really had any problems there if if, if you thought if there was a place that things would kick off and it would be there mm-hmm. you know in the middle of peckham but never had a problem mm, cool yeah, time will tell. Yeah, but... yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's nice though, and um, yeah, you know, it, it was, you know, the 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 days, uh, you know, getting these screen various screenings at the cinema were always um were always memorable, but also equally, you know, working in a video library, sorry, in a video store was was kind of fun, um, because you you, you know, you you'd get to see what was coming out, and we we've talked a lot about the influence of posters haven't we in various podcasts oh, well the influence of vhs covers yes yeah. yeah i mean there's there's actually a book that came out uh last year of, of vhs covers and it's a is a is a beautiful you know coffee table book all oh, right okay i'll have yeah, to check that okay. sounds quite good yes yeah, no it's, it's very good there's no this is the thing. It's not one of those books where it talks about it. It's just literally the video covers. Right. And they've got the... It, it's good how they do it because the page you're looking at will be... Uh, the one page facing up will be the uh, be the front cover. Yeah. And the page facing down would be... Oh, right, cover, yes. And then you have the next one. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you would have with a VHS. Yes. May I yeah. ask, do you own any VHSs? Uh, I have some down in my parents in storage um basically when i when i moved to london i said this is quite funny actually i sold i had a ridiculously huge video collection i mean it was it was you know about 500 vhs tapes some of them box sets of things some of them you know widescreen editions you know all all in sort of pristine all watched but all in pretty good condition um and when i moved to london uh one of the things I had to do when I was starting to sort of explore the acting thing was uh, to join Spotlight, um, which is, you know, oh, okay. and, uh, yeah. you know, I had no money. I was pretty broke as well, as I've always been, you know, and um, <laughs> uh, what I ended up doing is I sold my entire video collection to uh, there was a there was an advert in Empire, the magazine Empire. Um, which they would basically if you all you had to do was box them up and they'd come and collect them and sort of give you a check there and then and take them. And they, they, they got put out to some third world country, right? But the amount I made on the, the 500, um, you know, or so VHS titles that I got rid of or, or sold to that, just about was enough money to pay for my spotlight subscription which was about 150 quid <laughs> so oh, right. but having said that I, there were a few things that were special edition box sets or really rare or held sentimental value of some kind that i held on to so um i've got the first thing i ever owned on vhs was uh, as a sell through um title was uh raiders of the lost ark and this was a it was a previously viewed uh rental that they they sell they sold off oh, right. but i had that and and it was a bit tatty you know the cover wasn't pristine mm. which always annoyed me slightly uh and it had a <laughs> it had a really early teaser trailer for um temple of doom 
uh, on the front. Oh, okay. And uh, just, just, just for sheer, you know, even though I own it on Blu-ray and, and I've had it on DVD since and all this, I, I kept that for pure sentimental value. Um, I also had a widescreen Star Trek. I know we mentioned Star Trek before. Uh, mm. One through six box set which uh the the spines of it made up a picture of the enterprise uh oh uh, yeah yeah which one, which yeah. again it's it was kind of nice it was numbered and everything so i kept hold of that um i think i kept hold of my back to the future trilogy box set as well because that was a special one um so i kept hold of a few but yes i do have some but no doubt no doubt if i put a tape in a machine and hit play it would probably just disintegrate <laughs> you know <laughs> but there are a few that i kept hold of but not many yeah like you i sold my collection i had quite a big collection i sold it through loop oh okay i just put an advert out and uh somebody came along and picked them all up and uh drove them away and gave me some cash did you feel sad um well no because i started collecting tv i soon replaced it all right. with dvd yeah, so yeah. not really but um i'm just looking at my shelf now i have two vhs tapes oh okay which ones are they i have bad taste oh wow okay yeah the early peter jackson stuff yeah <laughs> yeah which um funny enough was uh it's not on blu-ray ah. i don't know if they ever came out on dvd right i don't know well i don't think it did in this country okay and then I've got uh, a cinema club edition of uh, To Live and Die in L.A. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, of all the ones <laughs> that, yeah, okay. It's, it's yeah. not, well, oddly, I mean, you know, there are things that still haven't been released uh, on DVD that were on VHS. I mean, I don't think there's much, but there, there's certainly some stuff you can't get hold of. Um, That's right. And you know, obviously, not everything that's available on DVD is 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 available on Blu-ray. I mean, it's it's getting there, but it's 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 a slow migration. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it, well, like, like I said, it is a minefield. You know, uh, if you if you want to have the best versions and everything, but uh, yeah, that's the way it is. But yes, I have got that, and I've probably got other titles that I haven't mentioned, but they're the ones that sprang to mind. I know I got rid of all my Bond collection, which which that hurt a little because I got them when they came out in the. Uh, they all had sort of matching spines. Um, yes. And uh, yeah. you know, but again, you know, I look at these. They, you know, half of my VHSs. They were they were pan and scan editions mono soundtrack with no extras and you know took up a lot of room and, and collected <laughs> a lot of dust so it's probably just as well <laughs> keith back in those days we didn't know what extras were well, this is true this is true oh god th this is making us sound old again for god's sake <laughs> so uh, yeah but now there was something to be said about it so, so they were good <laughs> mm. That's it. Cool. Well, that's a good place to leave it. it is. So, Keith, where can we find your work? Right. Well, if you can find my work, none of it's available on VHS. Um, <laughs> but if you go to YouTube, uh, you know, let's enter the 21st century. Go to the YouTube and uh, put in British Isles, E-Y-L-E-S, as in my surname. Uh, then you'll find um, short films that I've made there. 
And you can find my work at uh, independentrunnings.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube. Um, also, you can follow us on um, on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, wherever you listen to us, please leave us a review and a rating.